So Lord, I ask that you would help us know how we can have that spirit of power and love and of self-control that how do we make that real in our lives. Use the thoughts that we're going to think and the words that I'm going to say in these next few minutes to help us do that. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I want to wish Happy Mother's Day to those of you who are mothers or who have ever had a mother. Happy Mother's Day. Last week, my nine-year-old son and I were playing catch, and afterwards, I was feeling really great about this sort of wonderful field of dreams, father-son moment that we'd had. And when we were done, though, he looked at me and he said, Dad, I think I got your baseball DNA. And I said, why is that? And he said, because I'm not the best player on my team. <laughs> oh, you know, glad I could inspire you. I sort of went from being, feeling like a hero to a zero in a matter of one second. Sort of felt like, you know, the Christmas, Charlie Brown Christmas when the tree wilts and then Charlie Brown just goes like this? Sort of felt like that. Do you ever have those moments in your life where the wind is just taken out of your sails? One minute you feel confident, courageous, bold, the next discouraged. So I want to ask you, who or what is taking away your boldness these days? What is robbing you of feeling bold? Maybe it's a financial or health or relationship problem. Maybe it's just the pressure of life, you know, mortgage, kids, cars, all that stuff that's just kind of weighing you down. Or maybe life just feels boring. Sometimes I think it's our success that robs us of boldness and keeps us from being bold because we like what we've got and we go into protection mode to kind of try to keep it. Sometimes I think it's just that we live in a culture of fear that discourages us from being bold. This summer, one night, a bat got into our house and after I got the the bat out, I, I, I looked up bats on the internet bad move, because there was just a culture of fear all over this, right? Like all kinds of terrible things about bats. And one of the things I discovered was that they like to bite sleeping children. So I went upstairs, woke up my kids and asked, did a bat come into your room and bite you? Right? At which point they're totally freaking out, right? Like, bat, the bat, right? And so for the rest of the night, they're huddled under their covers, fearful of this bat. Well, then a little while later, I was reading just a totally different book about a different subject. I ran across this random statistic. More people die every year by going to church potlucks than by bats. (laughs) So we are not going to any more church potlucks because y'all are killers. Lots of things in life that make us fearful, that rob us of boldness. And even when we can be bold in one area of our life, say our careers or maybe sports, maybe you're the kind of person who just loves to bungee jump with dental floss, right? But then when it comes to doing something like, I don't know, inviting someone to church or standing up for what you believe in the office or not caving into peer pressure or saying I love you to someone who needs to hear those words, not so bold anymore. But here's the thing. We follow Jesus who conquered even death. Shouldn't that make Christians the boldest people on the planet? But I'm not sure that's our image. Right, like I think if you were to walk into Bellevue Square today and ask 100 people the following question, if you wanted to go to a place that would encourage you to dream big dreams and give you the boldness to live them out, where would you go? How many people do you think would say church? Not very many, right? Because that's not our image. But the real Jesus of Scripture, right? the Jesus that we followed, he did not come to make us safe or happy or comfortable. He came to make us, among other things, bold. And by bold, sometimes when you talk about being bold in a church, you know, it conjures up images of street preachers, you know, saying, you're going to hell because God loves you, right? That's not what I'm talking about. By bold, I mean being fearless no matter what trials we face. Bold means never being bored because we are constantly taking risks to be part of Jesus' rescue mission. 
Bold means being able to do the right thing no matter what the pressure is around us. Bold means being able to be the man, the woman that you want to be. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how's your boldness meter doing? Because what the passage that we just read says, and this is the main point of the sermon. So if your minds are wandering, bring the ponies back into the barn because this is the main point. You don't want to miss the main point. Here is the main point of the sermon. You are a bold warrior. You are bold whether you feel like it or not. You're bold. Yeah, pastor, you know, I don't really feel so bad. Yeah, you know, but pastor, I, you know, I'm bold over here in this area, but not, don't argue with the pastor. The passage we read today, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, who's a young man that he's been mentoring, who has had his boldness sapped right out of him. I'll get to that in a minute. Paul says, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-control. And I want you to notice the tense on that sentence. Past tense. Done deal. It's not God's going to give you. It's not God might give you if you're a good boy or a good girl. It's God has given you. If you know Jesus, he has replaced your spirit of fear with a spirit of power, love, and the self-control, a.k.a. you are bold. It is in you. Now, I know, I admit, sometimes life saps the boldness out of us or dampens that fire down in us. I get that, but it's in you. Embers are still burning. And that's why Paul says to Timothy, fan into flames the gift that was given to you through the laying on of my hands. That gift that he's talking about is the spirit of power, love, and of self-control. That is the gift that we've been given. And our job is to fan that baby into flames. It's in there. The embers are in there. Our job is to fan that baby into flames, not ignore it, not let it die, not take it for granted. I came across kind of a goofy story that I, I kind of liked about three brothers who decided to give expensive gifts to their elderly mother for Mother's Day. It's Mother's Day, so. The first one built her a large house. Second one gave her a Mercedes. Third son knew that she loved the Bible, but that she couldn't see well enough to read it anymore, so he found a parrot that could recite the entire Bible. It took 20 pastors five years to train this parrot, and it cost $10,000, but all his mom had to do was name the passage, and the parrot could recite it. Well, afterwards, the mom sent thank you notes. She said to the first son, Dear Milton, the house you built is way too big for me to clean, so I only live in one room, but thanks anyway. Second son, she said, Dear Marvin, I'm too old to drive, so their Mercedes just sits in the garage, but the thought was nice. But to the third son, she said, Dearest Melvin, you are the only son to give a little thought to your gift. Thank you. The chicken was delicious. (laughs) I liked it. That is sometimes how we treat the gift that God has put in us, the spirit of boldness. We let it die, or we don't see its value, or we just kind of take it for granted when we should be fanning it into flames. We're starting a new sermon series called Bold Life on the book of 2 Timothy, which is a letter the Apostle Paul writes to his mentee named Timothy. Now, an alternate title to this sermon series could have been Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Because that's pretty much what Timothy was. Kind of, I mean, he was shy. He had health issues, some kind of stomach problem, probably nerves. You know, very fearful. I love Timothy. He gives me hope for me. And Paul writes this letter to him, which basically has just one point. Man, up, would you? Grow a spine. And that's important because Paul is in prison and he's going to be executed for following Jesus, and Timothy is going to be his successor. And Paul knows that Timothy has it in him. Whether Timothy knows it or not, whether Timothy feels it or not, Paul knows that Timothy has it in him, just like it is in you. 
In fact, Paul has seen these moments in Timothy. Timothy traveled with Paul to to preach the gospel and suffered for it. That's bold. Paul and Timothy saw miracles together. They got persecuted together. They got stoned together, by which I mean rocks thrown at them. (laughs) Not the other kind. Timothy was even willing as an adult male to get circumcised so that he wouldn't offend the Jews when he traveled with Paul. That is a bold move. Lots of puns I could make, but I won't do it. But something is robbing Timothy of his boldness. Something's taking it out of him. Maybe it's his health problems. Maybe it's the fact that Paul is in prison. Maybe it's, it's just that he has a mortgage and three kids and a job and two cars and life sometimes seems like it's all have to and no get to. Not that anyone in this room would ever experience that feeling. Something is robbing Timothy of his boldness. What is robbing you of yours? What Paul tells us is that God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of self-control. And those three words, I think, give us a clue to how we can fan the flames of boldness into a raging fire in our lives. Those three words, real brief. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but he gave us a spirit of power. And we fan the spirit of flame, we fan fan boldness into flames in our life when we act, when we remember that God is powerful and, more importantly, act as if he is. We just celebrated Easter, and what Jesus' resurrection shows is that he can take something that looks dead, dead career, dead marriage, dead life, health problems, and he can bring new life out of it. Earlier in this passage, Paul says, I'm apostle according to the promise of life. In Christ Jesus, he can bring life even out of things that seem dead. On Good Friday, Jesus was crucified. But as Pastor John Ortberg puts it on Easter Sunday, death lost its sting. Hell was defeated. Darkness derailed. The devil demoted. Hope got vindicated. The prophets validated. Soldiers aggravated. The disciples got animated. It's the greatest victory over the darkest enemy by the noblest hero for the loftiest cause in all of human history. We can be bold because of this fact. Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And yes, we go through death-like experiences in this life, but Jesus always, always, always brings some kind of resurrection out of it. And I have told you in the last eight and a half years, probably a hundred stories about how Jesus does that. And some of you will say to me, lots of times you'll say, you know, Scott, I don't remember a thing you preach except those stories. That's awesome. Remember those stories or the times he's been active in your life. It gives you boldness. But more importantly, act as if Jesus can bring life out of death. Act as, just, as if Jesus is mighty to save because he is. And when you act on it, you actually discover that it's true. Dale Bruner, who used to teach at Whitworth University, tells a story about teaching Sunday school one day on on an Easter Sunday. And he asked the kids, what what do you think Jesus' first words were when he came out of the tomb? And one little girl raised her hand and said, I know. He said, (laughs) ta-da. No matter what we face, Easter means we can look it in the eye and say, ta-da, my God is stronger in some way, someday, somehow. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to bring life out of this. That is truth. And when you act on it and remember it, it makes you bold. We have a spirit of power. Second thing we have is we have a spirit of love. And perfect love casts out all fear. So a good way to fan the flames of boldness is to experience God's love for you, certainly, through prayer, scripture, worship, but also other people's love for you. Paul is Timothy's mentor, calls him my dear son. Timothy, in return, encourages Paul. They make each other bold. 
Paul also says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. Fitting verse for Mother's Day. Our mothers, our fathers, our Christian friends can encourage us, which means literally to put courage into. I've told you before, I, every Thursday I go and, and, and I meet with one of my best friends for the spiritual discipline of whining. And he always listens very sympathetically to me for a little while. And then he always says something like this, Scott, I know the kind of man you want to be. In fact, I know the kind of man you can because I've seen you be that man in the past. Remember when you made this brave decision or remember when you took that risk. That was bold. You can do it. You have it in you. So be that man now in this situation. He puts courage into me to live out the spirit of power that God has put in me, to fan it into flames. Do you have those people? I know it's hard. I know it's hard, but find them. Join a small group or push hard to get beyond news, weather, and sports in the, in the Christian communities that you're in. I just gave you a reason, right? Scott just told us to do this. Someone go first. Someone's got to go first. Be bold. Say, let's get beyond news, weather, and sports. How's your soul? Where are you aching? Where are you faking? How can I put courage into you? We have a spirit of power. We have a spirit of love. And finally, we have a spirit of self-control. And by that, Paul does not mean repressing our desires and just trying harder not to sin or eat chocolate or whatever it is, right? Self-control in Scripture always means cooperating with the nudges that Jesus gives us that change us. Throughout Scripture, there is a pattern, and I may have said this to you before. The Holy Spirit nudges us, then we step out in faith and act, and then God's power comes through. So, for instance, the Israelites have to step into the Red Sea before the sea parts, and then it parts, right? Nudge, step, power. Nudge, step, power. Nudge, step, power. That's how you get bold. I know several men in this church who have been offered promotions recently, and, but through prayer, they felt God nudging them to turn the job down because they knew that job was going to take way too much time away from their family. So they said, no, that is a brave, bold, counterculture move. Nudge, step, and then the power. One man said to me, my marriage is so much happier. I'm loving the time I'm spending with my kids. Plus, I have the deep satisfaction of knowing that I am doing the right thing and I feel brave because I'm standing up to our cultural pressures. Nudge, step, power. I know another man who was an associate pastor at a large church in Philadelphia uh, that was led by his father. And he had a big salary, a lot of prestige, and he was next in line to become the senior pastor in just a couple years of this huge church. Well, then this little church of like 20 people, just a group really of 20 people in Palo Alto, California, asked if he would come and be their pastor. Even though they said, we don't know how we'll pay you, but would you come anyway? And they said, but look, we're praying for you that you could find a house for $4,000 a month. And he said, well, that is way more than the mortgage I'm paying here in Philadelphia. And they said, we know, but you know, rentals are really high here in California. And he said, whoa, 4K a month and I don't even own? And they said, yeah, it'll be a miracle, but we're praying for it. But he and his wife prayed about it and, and they prayed through it and just kept felt God nudging them to go. His parents told him not to go. His friends told him not to go. He even said the tires on his car told him not to go. They were worn out and as he was driving to California, he, he said, I could swear they were saying to me over and over again, you're a fool, you're a fool, you're a fool. <laughs> the first three years in that church were very, very hard, three years. But then suddenly the church just took off became one of the few truly multiracial churches in the country. They've got 4,000 white, black, Hispanic folks coming, rich, poor. The church is busting at the seams. They're making all kinds of difference in their neighborhood and in their community. Nudge, step, power. 
So what is God nudging you to do in life, in career, in family, in faith? Maybe for you, it's simply to start praying some big prayers that you can't imagine how God is going to answer them and see over time what he does with that. In fact, next week, I'm going to talk to us about how we as a church can start praying some big prayers for our region and see how God answers those. And we'll have a little exercise for you that will train us to be a little more bold. Talk about that next week. What is it that he is nudging you to do so that you can be more bold? Whatever it is, we fan the flames of boldness when we remember an act on the fact that God is mighty to save. We get it through the love of encouragement of others and through self-control, a.k.a. steps of faith, to cooperate with Jesus. There's a woman in this church who I'll call Anne, who has battled cancer for the last year. Chemo, radiation, surgery, it's just been a difficult, difficult year. On top of that, her mother is an alcoholic and addicted to prescription drugs. On top of all that, Anne's mother has been emotionally and verbally abusive ever since Anne was a little kid. But Anne said throughout this, Jesus has been given her more of a sense of boldness. He's been showing up. One time, Anne was reading a Christian writer who was talking about when the Israelites were escaping from Egypt, they came up to the Red Sea. There was no way around it. There was no way over it. The only way was through it. And said, you know, we all have Red Sea places in our life. No way around, no way over. The only way is through those Red Sea places in life. But God has the power to part the sea. That gave her all kinds of courage. Well, a while back, God began to nudge Anne to pray for her mom. And Anne Anne said, "Uh uh-uh, no way, no way. I've I've got cancer. I don't feel good. My mother has been abusive and mean. She has not helped me at all during this lowest time in my life. No way I'm praying for her. But God just kept nudging her to pray for her mom, pray for her mom, pray for her mom. Well, not too long ago, Anne had her 40th birthday, and she was feeling kind of discouraged, kind of depressed, just from all of the weight of all of these problems. And part of the way she deals with the side effects from cancer treatments is to go to acupuncture. So she was at the acupuncture place, lying on her stomach, pins stuck all in her back, and she got a nudge to pray for her mom that she knew was from God because it said, since you're stuck here anyway, literally, why don't you pray for your mom? Sometimes people ask me, how do I know if it's God that I'm hearing in my head? If it's sarcastic, it might be God. Honest. All throughout scripture, God uses sarcasm to get our attention. Later, Anne told this story to a friend of hers, and the friend said, boy, God really pinned you down on that one. You could just go on and on, right? So Anne prayed for like the whole time, 30 minutes or more, prayed for mom, bless her, help me love her. God, help me trust you with our relationship. Well, when she got done, she then felt God nudge her to go clean her mother's house. She's like, what? I mean, she's tired. She's got cancer treatments, right? But she did it anyway, even though her mom wasn't home and the house was just a a pit. So when she was all done with that, she got in her car and she noticed that she had left her cell phone on the car seat. And she noticed that there were all these messages from her husband on the cell phone. So she called him up and he said, where have you been? I have been calling you all afternoon. He said, your mother's here. She's at our house looking for you. She's got some really good news. She's had to come to Jesus, literally. Turns out the mom had checked herself into rehab where she met a nun who worked there who told her all about how Jesus loved her and and the mom had just gotten out of rehab, gone over to Anne's house to apologize for everything that she'd done. She felt Jesus' presence for the first time, said she felt forgiven for the first time in her life. She was working to get clean and sober. She even asked for a Bible. Anne said it was like a modern-day miracle. Now, things are not perfect The mom is still battling her addictions. There's still a lot of pain in that relationship. Anne is cancer-free, but is trying to recover from all the treatments and the side effects. But when she was discouraged and depressed, God reminded her that he was powerful. 
She felt love and encouragement from the community and her husband. And she responded to God's nudge to pray for her mom, and she saw God's power unleashed. Nudge, step, power. And that made her bolder, and that gave her joy in a season of, that was very, very hard and very, very difficult. So what is stealing your boldness lately? And will you fan that boldness back into flames by acting on the fact that God is mighty to save? Getting some folks around you to encourage you. Maybe you just need to go, hey, I'm low on my boldness meter. Would you please put courage into me? And then responding to the nudges that God gives you. You know, if you ask a little kid, if you ask a little kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, they never say things like, gee, someday I hope I grow up to be a corporate yes man. Or I hope I grow up and just someday really play it super safe. They don't say that. They, they say things like, no, astronaut, firefighter, right? Bold things. Here's the deal. If you know Jesus, he has put, put a spirit of boldness in you, whether you feel like it or not. It just needs to be fanned into flames. And that spirit is in you every day, all the time. So when the boss or friends pressure us to do what we know isn't right, remember this, God has not given us a spirit of timidity. When we face health problems, remember this, God has not given us a spirit of timidity. When adventure calls and Jesus says, join my rescue mission to comfort someone in pain or help someone out of poverty or simply start praying bold prayers for your neighborhood, God has not given us a spirit of timidity. When the finances look bleak, when the relationships go south, when we face trials and troubles of every kind, God has not given us a spirit of timidity or of worry or of boredom or of apathy or of, gee, I just really want to be safe. God has given us a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And here's what that means. Whether you feel like it or not today, here is the reality of what is inside of you. You are a hero. You are a mighty warrior. You are victorious. You are not a sheep. You are a lion in Presbyterian clothing. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world and no weapon formed against you can remain forever when Jesus is on your side and he is. So this week, fan that spirit of boldness into a roaring, raging, towering inferno of power. And when people ask you what has gotten into you, you know the answer, Jesus. So Lord, make us bold. Give us bold vision for our families, for our church, for our neighborhood, for our offices, for our lives. Give us big, bold visions and then the courage to walk into them. Lord, may we be known not as the safe ones, but as the bold ones, because we follow you. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.